I'm going to invite uh, Nate to come up and read from Acts. We've uh, kind of had this little break in between um, studying 1 Corinthians 15 after Easter and resurrection and resurrection um, with our bodies and what Paul calls uh, of first importance. And, uh, and then in a couple weeks, we're going to start uh, for the summer studying uh, uh, the letter to the Ephesians in its complete entirety. Um, but in between, we have this series of kind of liturgical holidays. Last week, uh, we, we talked about the ascension when Jesus uh, ascended into heaven and left all of his, follower, his followers around. I'm like, what just happened and why that's important still for us. Uh, this week, we celebrate with the Global Church Pentecost, um, and next week, Trinity Sunday, um, but before the start of June. So, um, Nate, if you'd read for us uh, Acts 2, 1 through 21. All right. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, <laughs> really Chris? <laughs> Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks, Nate. Two, two quick notes. Just because you've had a little bit of Greek or Hebrew does not mean it's easier to say those names. So, um, and the other note is they've obviously never been to Monuts because people are drinking beer at 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> but when we get to this, this passage, we see the apostles resetting. And they put their tongues back in their mouths after last week when the angel comes to men of Jerusalem. Why? Are you so confused? Uh, peace. And when Jesus descended to heaven right in front of them, they, they've, uh, right before this, they've replaced Judas and they've attempted to get back on schedule. They've gathered together for Pentecost. 
You see, Pentecost, even for them, was a church holiday, really a harvest festival where you'd, you'd bring something to God. You'd show your thanks in the ways that God had included you in his abundance by bringing your first fruits to him 50 days after you planted. That's the Pentecost. And, um, De Deuteronomy 16 says, count off seven weeks from the time you began to put a sickle to the standing grain, then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a blessing for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and foreigners, the fatherless and the widow living among you, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Follow carefully these decrees. So they gathered for this festival, and God surprises them. Instead of them coming to give something to him, whether they did that out of obligation or out of joy, he was intent on giving something to them. All of those included in this feast of gratitude, you, sons and daughters, male and female servants, are you starting to see where this fits in with our Pentecost story? They're also included in this flood of grace. God's presence poured out on, him, on them all in the form of his spirit. God pouring out his spirit meant the realization of the promise that they'd been looking forward to, that Joel reported, this is from Joel 2. I will repay you for years the locusts you've eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will then have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And here's the part that we know. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. You see... We've lost some of the scandal of this. In Jesus' time, men woke up in the morning and they prayed, God, thank you that I'm, not a that I'm a Jew, not a Gentile. They prayed, Lord, thank you that I'm free and not a slave. And last, and I'm just reporting this, they said, thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. Joel's expectation and Peter's experience leads to a, democratizing, like a, a leveling, a complete flattening and turning this on its head. Not only by God's spirit has he included us all, but by pouring it out, he's empowered us, men and women, young and old, slave and free, 
to get in on what the Spirit is doing. Because who we are, who we have been, is far less important than God's presence, who God is. It's hard for us to understand this because we, we have kind of in the background of our heads this other revolutionary thing that St. Paul wrote to the Galatians. We have it in our head, and, and so we don't understand how scandalous this is that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus, he says. So today, in this feast of Pentecost, where God pours out his spirit on all of us. I, I want to talk about that spirit. And I want to talk about five movements of that spirit, five things that happen when God pours out his spirit. And, and I hope you, you can take away from these and think, in my life, what are these ways that this is happening? Or what are ways that I, I, I should be participating more in this, leaning into that reality? First, when God pours out his spirit, he unifies us. God unifies us by his spirit. This is a unity built and maintained between us. But again, most importantly, the story is all about God. The spirit builds and maintains unity between us, but it mostly builds and maintains unity between us and Christ, our union with Christ. So often we, we read this Pentecost story and it's like a, a united nations of people <laughs> speaking their own languages and being understood by all. Uh, that's kind of the point. When, when I read it to Noah, that's what we talk about and how weird that is. But I focus on that mystery when what's also remarkable is that they're all talking about the same thing in their own languages. What's a, a little crowdsourcing or what's the most culturally diverse place in our town that you've been to? Duke Gardens. Okay, Duke Gardens. Maybe the C2 bus getting to Duke Gardens. Uh, anyone else? All right, maybe that's also homework. Uh, but imagine, you're at Duke Gardens. What are the chances that you look around and people are all speaking their own dialects? Probably at Duke Gardens, there's, there's people from Asia, different parts of Asia. There's, there's people from New Jersey who also speak a different language. And they're all considering the same thing. Acts says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. The good news, the gospel, is that when God pours out his spirit on you, when you receive Christ, it's this same spirit. The same spirit that blew so mightily at Pentecost. The same spirit that enabled these people to proclaim God in their own way and still be understood. It's the same spirit that unites you to Christ, that unites me to Christ in his life, in his death, his resurrection, in that ascension. It's the same spirit that helps us grow to be like Christ, who forms those fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Informs them through prayer, through our spiritual friendships with each other, through worship, through repentance, through self-control, and, and through dying to ourselves daily. It's the same spirit who helps us. It's helps us, the church, discern and agree and live peaceably with people who are different than us. When God pours out his spirit, he unifies us. The second thing, when God pours out his spirit, he opens us up. That's a weird thing to say. And by opening us out, I don't mean he makes us all extroverts. So all the introverts in the room, relax. I saw you like melting into your chair. The truth of the matter is that sin tends to to turn us in on ourselves, and the Spirit opens us back out. We think about ourselves. We make decisions for ourselves and our families. We can only see our own perspective. We can only seek our own interests, but the Spirit opens us out, gives us a new posture, first to God, and, and it creates that fertile soil for the seed of faith to take root, and then to each other. It allows us to get over ourselves, to grow in kind of a self-forgetfulness that enables us to live sacrificially, to live like Christ. Tim Keller puts it this way, the thing that we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more about myself, it's not thinking less of myself, but it's just of thinking of myself less. <laughs> when, our, when our own cares and concerns and the ways that we're self-conscious, um, when our own hurts and discomforts are, aren't like immediately before our faces, aren't on our dashboard, they're no longer our focus, we're really surprised how much by the Spirit, how much we have to give others. When we're powered by the Spirit, it's amazing how kind of reckless we can do that. In, in sports or in music, you can always tell when someone's like counting their steps, you know, like when they're playing guitar and they're like looking, you know, I, I don't even know what I just did. Uh, <laughs> but like they're like in chord change or like, you know, like a baseball player's like really getting the grip, you know. Um, you can tell when someone's counting their steps, but I think the, the spirit kind of lets us let it rip, you know, like, like to, to truly be available and not be so concerned with the exact steps, to truly be present in the places that God puts us. It's amazing to me, like, and, and I've witnessed this, and it's really cool that Paul's here cause he, and Crystal, because they know this person, like, the noticeable physical and like social change of someone who's, who's come to know Christ and is now filled with the Spirit. I think back in college, there, there was this guy, Drew, um, who was amazing. And Drew had really long hair and glasses and wore trench coats sometimes. Um, and he was like really painfully shy. Like, not like, oh, he's shy, but like make you feel like you're doing something wrong shy. You know, like... But Drew met Christ through the Holy Spirit, and 
and, and he did it like through what I would call the remarkably average contagion of just being around other Christians. It's like kind of contagious. And gradually, Drew started to kind of like look you in the eye. He'd like make it, he was really funny. He'd make a wry joke and um, he'd be around more often. Like you just go to something and be like, oh, there's Drew. And, and like where he used to kind of be more isolated. And, and like it turns out Drew's really like pretty deep dude, you know, but we never would have known that. But now the Spirit was gifting him to the rest of our friends, gifting him uh, to our little college Christian community because the Spirit had, had turned him outward to others so that he could love them and they could love him. This summer we'll be, like I mentioned, studying Ephesians. And it's a classic letter of Paul telling a church that they need to grow up to live into their identity in Christ. And kind of the, the phrase that we're going to be keying off of is to be rooted and grounded in love. As part of that sustained study, um, we're, we're going to have room for like ordinary testimonies each week um, for each of our worship gatherings. Space for each one of us to stand up and, and to say in about five minutes, this is who I am. This is what God's doing in my life. This is what I'm struggling with, or this is a joy of mine. Nothing, it doesn't have to be like big and dramatic. I think we over kind of, we over pressurize testimonies, you know? And, and, and the, the result is that we don't know each other that well. Um, so we're going to have some time for that. And if you're like, again, one of those people that's melting into their seats, this is exactly for you. Um, so, if it's really scary and potentially embarrassing, that's, that, that's me saying, but it's also maybe God saying, volunteer for this. Consider giving a shot. Give others a shot and give the Spirit a shot to, to work through these words and, and to, to turn you, to open you out to others. Third, when God pours out His Spirit, He particularizes that's a big word for this. Pentecost is often considered the reverse of Babel. And it is and it isn't in a really important way. At Babel, and I'm talking about the Genesis story, not like the Brad Pitt movie or the Mumford song. Like in Babel, God takes a people that are unified in place and in language and selfish motivation and he scatters them, confuses them. He halts their idolatrous urban planning. Here's, here's from Genesis. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city, and the lower the people were built, and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's not there. Um, that is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused their language uh, of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. 
That's in Genesis 11. If Pentecost was a direct, like a one-to-one -one reversal of this, we might find those who are scattered now speaking the same language. I like to think that that would be like King James Bible Old English um, with thousands and Ds. So that they might understand each other again and now build something better. But instead, what we find is that the Spirit takes each person's language and then makes them understood. Don't miss this. What was originally a curse, a part of the effects of sin, is now being pulled in to God's redemptive plan and his healing. That the Spirit now, here in, in our account in Acts, acts as a, a social glue or a, a translator, not a not bleach or not an eraser. We find this also in the church with very particularized gifts, predispos uh, predispositions, personalities and skills, and, and a variety of those is what makes a healthy church. 1 Corinthians 12 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To, their, uh, to them is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of those tongues. All are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each of us, just as he determines. Just as in one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So often we've sinfully tried to make the church and our own like little social circles drone in the same instrument, and then realizing that, um, as my professor uh, Jeremy Begbie was here said, that Christians are polyphonic people with a potential for spiritual symphony. So often we've, we've scorched the earth <laughs> by monocropping, and ask Josh what that means, rather than caring for a biodiversity that the spirit produces for, for nourishing, for flourishing. The spirit particularizes. And when the spirit pours out, when God pours out his spirit, he previews. The Spirit pulls us into God's future. The church, and I'm going to use this word for the second week in a row. We're, we're going to go for a record. The church is an eschatological people, a people of the end. We start with the end because in Pentecost, to an extent, what, is, what will be true already is true. The Spirit is a, a seal. It's the evidence and, and it's the guarantee. It's a a down payment for the kind of new creation Christ's return is going to usher in. So because the Spirit gives us a glimpse, 
we become a people obsessed with anticipation. This is like the type of anticipation with my kids, where you tell them something and they're like so obsessed with it, like it's, they're gonna pull it into now, you know? <laughs> this is the kind of anticipation that starts to act as if it's already the case. God's kingdom movement has started and will be finished. Justice and mercy, um, the rule that he brings in justice and mercy, will rule and is ruling. We are agents of Christ's reconciliation now. Beauty and creativity have really important and hopeful places, even in the middle of poverty, violence, and sin. They're not a waste or an additive. They're vital. When God poured out his spirit at Pentecost, the church had its birthday. And it was birthed into this prophetic mode of bridging that already and that not yet, of, of being implicated in those kind of birth pangs. When God pours out his spirit, he previews. And the last thing, when God pours out his spirit, he plays jazz. When God pours out his spirit, he plays jazz, because jazz is that seemingly disordered discipline there's no such thing as free-form jazz, even though it seems like there is, because it took a thousand hours of structure and scales to be able to be that free. Jazz also surprises us, and it subverts our expectations. You're left on the edge of your seat wondering what the next improvisation is headed towards, but you have a clue and you know where it's coming from, and you probably know where it's going to end up back at. And Christianity is, in some sense, the Spirit's jazz on God's rescue plan. It riffs off of Israel and centers on the theme of Christ. When the Spirit blows, be prepared for all of your expectations to be temporarily scandalized. I think of the story in Acts 10. Peter, man... The Lord is so kind of mean to Peter. Like, he knocks Paul off his horse, but Peter, which is his guy, maybe he's getting him back for the denials, right? Um, but in Acts 10, you have the story of Peter, and the sheet appears, and it falls down, and there's all these gross things that, they're, that Israel's told not to eat because that sets them apart from all the, the people around them. This sheet drops, and all these dietary no-nos become fair game. And this is what it says. A voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. This is also probably how Peter knows that they're not drunk, too. But, uh, and then the voice spoke to him a second time. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The Spirit was showing Peter at Pentecost and later that God's rescue plan might lead us to people and places and things we'd never thought we'd go. The Spirit over and over surprises us with the way God's grace plays out in this world. Our call through prayer and, and meditating on the Word, through communing with Christ's body, is to practice these fundamentals, like to work those scales so that we're ready. 
so we're able to be included in the next movement. So we're able to hear, we have our, our hearing tuned to what the Spirit's getting ready to play, so, so it's almost, if you see a really good band, they, with a slight nod or a smile, they know what's going to happen next. We're able to hear what the, the Spirit is going to play before He plays it, and then we jump in on that. I want to close with a, a portion of a, a poem from an Irish poet, Michal O'Shiel, which is, and it's spelled nothing like any of that. And it's a portion from Out of the Blue, and it's a really beautiful poem that he wrote for his wife. Should I dare to be so lucky? Is this a dream? Suddenly in the commonplace, the first amazement seizes me all over again, a freak twist to the theme, subtle jazz of the new familiar, trip of surprises, gratuitous beyond all our fathom, both binding and freeing. This love reinvades us, shifts the boundaries of our being. Will you guys pray with me? Spirit, we pray that you reinvade us with God's love, shift our boundaries, implicate us in this in this new movement, in this subtle jazz of the new familiar. Surprise us and, and help us Help us, you know, relish those surprises, anticipate those surprises, be thrilled by the ways you're moving, not, not scandalized by them. Father, we thank you for including us. Almost everyone in this room is a Gentile. Almost everyone in this room is part of that scandal, being grafted in through Christ to your people. We thank you for the the end of that prophecy in Joel, for the end of, of the part that Peter quoted, that all who call upon your name may be saved. We thank you that that offer is open, and it's still open. Spirit, we thank you for, for putting that breath in our lungs to, to call on Christ, for enabling us, for sparking that in us. Spirit, we, we thank you for showing up as subtle as wind, subtle as a breeze, as intense as fire. We thank you, Spirit, for, for being quenching water to our weary souls. Spirit, we thank you for being that shy member of the Trinity that just points all the time, points us to Christ, points us to the Father. Spirit, as we are scattered this week, make these things true to us, unite us, help us recognize and develop our particular gifts. Lord, help us get in on the jazz music that you're playing all around us. Help us hear it. Help us become appreciators, aficionados, participants. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you breathed into the dust and made man. We're so thankful that you breathed into our cold hearts and made them beat, made them alive to you. We're so thankful that you raised Christ and unite us to him, 
that you'll raise us. Spirit, empower these next few minutes as we converse and confess before our Heavenly Father individually for a few minutes and then together. Those confessions in that way only come through you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.